Welcome to another episode of Truths Be Told, the podcast. It is a comedy storytelling podcast where you get to hear other people's truths from the safety of your own home or car or um, on the street with your earbuds in. You're completely safe and you are not vulnerable, but the people on this show, oh wow, so vulnerable, so truthful. They're letting you into their world. I am your host, Lindsay Mullen. Uh, It is so great to have you listening to the show, and I hope you're a subscriber of the show. If you're not, press that button and uh, tell your friends about this show. Unless you don't like this show, then uh, keep that shit to yourself. If you don't like the show, why are you still listening? What are you getting from this? Guys... This episode of Truth Be Told is going to be fun. You know I like to change things up because variety is the spice of life. And I am the spiciest of women. Um, I'm going to change it up today. Because I did an interview not too long ago while I was in Calgary. A little over a month or two ago. And uh, I was originally looking to slot that interview in a different themed episode But we just kept talking and it went well past regulation time and it was just a lovely conversation and I was getting so much out of it Uh, and you could hear me try to shoehorn in a theme but that wasn't really working uh, because it was just a, a wild rogue conversation that wanted to do its own thing. It didn't want to be defined. I had that conversation with none other than Dennis Cahill. Dennis Cahill is my improv mentor. So I have made this episode completely dedicated to him um, because he has had such a profound impact on my life. So you know what? He deserves his own episode. Way to go, Den Den. You made a difference. Um, So this episode is all about my improv mentor, Dennis Cahill. And you don't have to be an improviser to enjoy this episode. Uh, I do think people that um, work on improvised theater and train in it and perform it will get a little extra something something from this episode because we do talk about improv. But really, everything we talk about is so universal and the conversation is so open and goes down so many avenues that it really doesn't matter, you know, if you're in theater or in improv or comedy. You'll get something out of it, I promise. So yeah, just uh, chatting with Dennis, my mentor. I've had a few mentors throughout my life. Um, I'd say Dennis is probably the biggest mentor I've had over the years. I've had female ones. I've had male ones. A lot of male ones. I don't know. Maybe it's because comedy is so filled with um, older men. Not enough women. I'll help change that. So, uh, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about mentors and how they've helped shape my career and put me on the path. Um, And... Now I'm going through a kind of funny transition where for the first time in my life, I'm becoming the mentor for some people. When I was back in Calgary, I went back because I was kind of broke and needed some money. So I was doing an improv show 
and I was teaching a sketch comedy workshop and I was just looking around anywhere for any opportunity to make a little bit of uh, spare change to keep myself afloat. Um, And after one of my workshops, my sketch comedy workshop, a young girl wanted to stick around after while I packed up my stuff at the theater and she wanted to ask me a bunch of questions. It was so cute. It was like she was a little journalist. She had a notebook and a pen and she was 20 years old and in like theater school. And I remember being like that too. It was only nine years ago. And I'm up in the tech booth packing up my laptop and she's sitting on a stool talking to me and she's asking me questions about theater school and um, comedy in other cities in Canada and auditioning and, and TV and film. And you have to understand, I'm not, well, you already know this, I'm not like wildly successful at all. If anything, I have not nearly reached any of the potential I was hoping to by this point. You know, I I often take retail jobs where I fold jeans while having moments of quiet desperation and wondering why I'm not in Los Angeles already auditioning for bigger things. Uh, So I hardly think I'm someone to look up to. But, you know, uh, this person did, and that's very flattering, and she asked me many questions, uh, and there was even this one moment that really took me back to when I was her age, where she asked such a ridiculous question, and it was so, it was almost annoying to hear this question, but I couldn't help but find it amusing because I think I asked the exact same question when I was 20. She at one point was telling me her timeline and her five-year plan and then she told me she was 20 and still in school and she wouldn't be able to move out of Alberta to a bigger city for acting for quite a few years and blah, 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 blah. And then she said, sometimes I think maybe I got into it too late and 20 is too old. Do you think it's too late for me to achieve my dreams? (sighs) I mean, okay, first of all, that is an awful question as a woman to have to hear when you are 29 and in acting. Someone asking if being 20 is too old. Um, But I did remember asking that when I was 20 and wondering the same thing. Because our industry is sick and makes us believe that women only have value while they are young. Uh, and, and it feels often in this industry like as soon as you begin to know yourself and have a voice and cultivate your own style and persona, that's when you're suddenly not of interest anymore to the industry. And I'm glad things are changing. Things are changing. The tide is turning. But yeah, it was interesting talking to someone who is almost a decade um, removed from where I am and following a similar path and seeing how far I've come. And it taught me not to shit on myself so much 
uh, and be proud of the accomplishments I do have. Accomplishments like this podcast. And uh, it, it felt good to be someone that someone looked up to. That felt really cool. You know? Because little does she know, but I still feel like a 10-year-old. I feel like a 10-year-old. You know? Sometimes I hook up with a dude and I'm like, what am I doing? I'm supposed to be on the jungle gym. <laughs> whoa, whoa. Oh my God. Why are your pants gone? You're an adult man. Do you ever look at somebody your own age and think, oh my God, that's a man or that's a woman and you get kind of freaked out and then you realize, oh no, I'm a man. I'm a woman. Well, I have the I'm a woman one, but I'll like look at myself in the mirror and be like, oh my God, I'm a woman. Why do I feel like I'm 10? Oh, I've had so many periods. So many periods. So why can't I figure out when my period is? Why is it? Why do I ruin so many pairs of white pants? I should know by now. I've had about 5 billion periods. Okay. Now I've gone off track because I'm talking about my menstrual cycle. Let's move on. Let's get to this beautiful interview with Mr. Dennis Cahill. Uh, I want to quickly say, um, Dennis Cahill, artistic director of Loose Moose Theater, improv teacher of mine. Uh, Loose Moose Theater was created by Keith Johnstone, who is one of the pioneers of improvisation. Um, he's the one that gets all the attention for it because he invented the games and wrote the books and invented theater sports and all these amazing, um, you know, groundbreaking things in improv. Dennis Cahill, um, you know, Keith Johnstone was his mentor. So Dennis took control of the theater later on when it was passed off to him. And he has led generations of young comedians and got them started in this business, myself included. And he's just this remarkable human being who doesn't get enough credit. It's crazy. He's also one of the best improvisers I've ever met in my life. And his name has never been in lights. It makes no sense. But that is how the business goes. So, um, yeah. Before we get into the interview, I, of course, have to do the quote of the episode. And it makes complete sense that I do a Keith Johnstone quote. All right. Uh, Here's a good Keith Johnstone quote I love because there are a lot of good ones. But here's a very good one. There are people who prefer to say yes. And there are people who prefer to say no. Those who say yes are rewarded by the adventures they have. Those who say no are rewarded by the safety they attain. Think about it, guys. Don't let fear control your life. Yeah. Safety isn't always the best thing. It usually is. But sometimes, uh, when we are vulnerable, we grow. All right, let's get into the interview with Mr. Dennis Cahill. Enjoy. most difficult interview that Lindsay has ever done. I know. She thought it was going to go well and easy, and it's turned into hell. 
Because <laughs> like, Dennis doesn't like any subjects. Dennis doesn't like any subjects. Um, <laughs> Dennis, just so you know, you just have to match my volume and we'll be fine. Do I really? <laughs> All right, then. Okay, I'm sitting with Dennis Cahill. Dennis Cahill is the artistic director of the Loose Moose Theatre Company in Calgary, which is an improv company that I owe my career to. Uh, they taught me everything about improvisation that I could possibly know. Uh, Dennis was uh, the teacher for all those years. Uh, just to describe Dennis, he is a surly middle-aged man with, um, um, you know, a kind of, he's, he doesn't have an Irish accent, but I guess he's technically Irish. He has an Irish temper, but has mellowed in his older years, which has been really lovely. Hi, Dennis. <laughs> Hi, Lindsay. <laughs> wow, what an introduction. I'm a surly middle-aged man? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm not even sure I'm middle-aged. What are you? Well, I'm I'm older. I'm a senior. I'm almost a senior. I'll be I'll be I'll be I'll be uh, ready for my uh, Canada pension next year. Oh my God! I'm set to go. See, I keep you in that same age bracket you were in when I met you. Well, there you go. But I uh, imagine... then I was then I was a surly middle-aged man. <laughs> now now I'm a I'm a grumpy old man. Oh wow! Which is fine. I've been looking forward to this period of my life for a long time. Well, now it justifies things. Because I feel like, I feel like you get to a certain age, I, it, grumpiness is justified. Yeah, exactly. You know, you've seen a lot, you've done a lot, you're fed up with a lot. Now you can be grumpy. And you, I think if you're a grumpy young person, get over yourself. Right. But right? you've earned this. I've earned my grumpiness. Cantankerous. I love that word, cantankerous. I've been looking forward to being cantankerous. Well, to be fair, you have had a reputation for being grumpy a long time. Well, I don't know. Not well, maybe. I don't know. I don't know what my reputation is because I don't. I don't really pay attention. You have a very good reputation. As far as artistic directors go, it's really hard to get people on the same page about someone that leads a company. Uh, and everyone pretty much unanimously agrees that they're happy you have the job. I think, I think many years ago, when, when people referred, I guess, to grumpiness, grumpy Dennis, <laughs> it's years ago I think I used to be a lot harsher in, in our notes. Yeah, we do note sessions after every yeah. improv show so yeah. that everyone could get better. And I think there was a period of time that people referred to as when I was, was a lot harsher. Yeah. And... and would say things like, like, all of you can be replaced. Yeah, you said that. Which I said in a note session, and, and it, it really angered some people. Um, but I said it. <laughs> and, I, and in a way, I kind of meant it, because people were kind of, you know, they were kind of getting to a point where they were, there was a lot more sort of... Um, there was a lot more ego than there needed to be in yeah. the work. And so my point was, is that you're not, you're not probably as wonderful as you think you are at this point. Hmm. And, and you could be replaced. I mean, there's, and, and the fact of the matter is, all of those people that were in that room have pretty well been replaced. So they're all gone. They're all gone. Okay. But now, nowadays, I, I, and then over a period of time, I suppose, yes, I did mellow to some degree, and I'm not as harsh. Although every once in a while, every once in a while, that... that Old school Dennis comes back. I know. One time you yelled at me. It only ever happened once. See, I don't remember this. What yeah. Did, what did I yell at you for? I was like, 
No, it was a good reason to yell at me. Oh, okay, good, good. No, it was I totally... wasn't just sort of like. No, you yeah, weren't like okay. some psycho on a rampage. You were. <laughs> it was fine. Um, you, I was fresh out of theater school, and I was one of the only people in my class to get hired out of school at a professional production, like a theater production. Right. Alberta Theater Projects, a big Margaret Atwood play. It yep. was very exciting, and you were giving notes after a show. And then you gave me a note, and I made all these cringy faces. I was taking the notes, but I was making all these faces, which are kind of like a subconscious way of going, I'm so weak, don't hurt me. I'm so fragile. Oh, your notes, they, they pierce. Oh, God. Even though they're needed and you're helping me, and it's not said with malice or ego, so just take the notes like everybody else. Um, but because I had this built-in defense mechanism... Mm-hmm. for, you know, becoming better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, everybody, uh, most people do. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. made all these winces, and I think you'd seen it a few times. And then you were like, in front of everyone, you are like, Jesus Christ. And then you got really mad, and you were like, you need to get over your shit, essentially. Oh. I don't, I'm not, I'm paraphrasing Yeah, no, here. no. But, but you said, you need to get over it, because you're about to go to a big job where you're going to get notes all the time, and you're a professional now, so start acting like a professional. Wow. That's good. I, I like that. That that that's good. Yeah, it was something like that. And I got all quiet and everyone just watched you get mad and then you just look pissed and you're like, next scene. And I was like I remember being like, Ooh, all ego bruised, but I was like, Well yeah, that was that was fair. Yeah, yeah. So so uh, every once in a while that that that's that, that Dennis comes out. I I could tell you I got a little story. Oh, because we're talking about you know, angry Dennis. So this was this was a few years ago. Now there was a we have that that six o'clock warm up class every Friday. Oh, show. I think I know the story. I was going to ask. Yeah. So um, and and quite often, like usually, I know pretty well everybody. But sometimes you get new people coming in that I'm not really sure about. Or or what happens quite often is that people invite a friend. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes what we get is somebody told me you have a free class. And it's not really, it's, it's actually meant for the performers that are going to perform that night, although all company members are welcome to come to the classes. And I should say, Loose Moose is a very unique improv company in that it kind of operates on a socialist system where, well, it really yeah. does. It's purely socialist. Is you, if What you put in, you get out. So if you volunteer and work concessions, if you rip tickets, if you help do lights and sound that kind of thing, you are rewarded with free classes and stage time to learn to get better. That's right. That's right. And, and we don't, we certainly, we, we're certainly welcome new people coming in. And if somebody has a guest in town, wants to bring them to the class, we're more than happy to have that. Or sometimes we'll have people contact us and say, I have a friend coming into town. They'd like to be a part of the show. And we, we're always welcome. So I start the class and, and I, First of all, the, the thing that sometimes what happens is that, that, that the front row of the theater where we're doing the class will not be full and people will sit in the second and third row. And that just tells me that they're not really ready to be involved. Mm-hmm. But I get that. I understand that. But there's a fella and he's sitting way over at the side. So he's, he's not like he's, he's basically suggesting that I'm just here to watch. Yeah. And... So I said something to him, like, come over and sit with the rest of the group. And he said, oh, I'm just here to watch. And I said, no, no, there's no watching in this class. 
And his whole attitude was, oh, like, like I, he was really put out by the idea that, that he needed to be involved in the class in some way. Because it's not, it's not a class that necessarily I like people to observe, because then suddenly it changes the dynamic from class to performance. Yeah, and also people feel judged when yeah. someone else, else is off to the side just watching and, and not particularly a total stranger that we don't know. But yeah. his whole attitude is like, and he, and he kind of drags his sorry ass over to like the third row and kind of plumps down in the middle. And just, and so basically I just, I went went ballistic on him. I just said, I, be, I basically ended up telling him to get the fuck out. Yeah, you did say the yeah. F word. You said, get I said, the get fuck the fuck out, out of here. Get the fuck out of here. And he was going, oh, uh, uh, uh. And I, no, I said, just get the fuck out. And so, but the great part was, so he laughed. And I found out later he was a stand-up comedian. Well, of course, that's why he's not joining a bunch of people on and he stage. Was, and he was, and he was a, an acquaintance of somebody from the company who met him in the parking lot on the way out. And, and she came in and went, oh, God, I'm so sorry. But his whole attitude was like, no, that's not the attitude you come to this class with. If you want to be a guest, then then behave in a reasonable manner. And also, this is not a class for you to watch. And whoever told you that, that was a mistake. Yeah. But if he would have just said, no, I'm sorry, I don't understand. Do I need to participate? And I would have said, yes, you do. And if he would have said, no, I can't do that, then fine. But his whole attitude was, I'm somehow important or special. Yes. And, and the best part is that this story went through the gossip mill. Yes. And by the time it yes. got to me, I remember someone saying, did you hear Dennis threw a chair at someone? <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't actually throw it through a chair. But but that but yes, that 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 the, the angry Dennis, the quick to anger Dennis came out and it was totally a status thing, too, because he was he was trying to be a number one. And I was going to know you're not going to be number one in this class. <laughs> and of course, the hilarious thing about it is, too, is uh, this particular brand of improvisation that's taught here, the Keith Johnstone style of it, is very much focused on status. So you literally teach status yeah. for a living. Yes, I do. How yes. to play high status, how to play low status, how to match other people's How to status. avoid conflict. Yeah, like, <laughs> so it's kind of perfect. Well, I knew, I, and actually, I was very, I was very, Conscious of the of of what I needed to do to defuse the situation, all I needed to do was go. Oh, I'm I'm sorry, but but I wasn't going to do that. Yeah. Because, what was the thing you said about status? That oh, the way to lower it is you. Well, if you have two, if you have two super high status people in a room, and neither one of them have flexibility in their status, neither. In, in other words, they're not willing to lower their status even a little bit. Like they're having a fight. They will get into a fight. They yeah. will go towards conflict in a fight because they're they're literally butting heads, which is a terminology that we use, which comes from the animal kingdom, is where you know when you have rams that butt their heads. Yeah. So that if you want to diffuse conflict, all you need to do. Ah, Generally, if you want to diffuse conflict, is just lower your status a little bit. No, I'm sorry. No, you're right. That will usually get you out of the conflict. Usually, unless you're dealing with a psychopath, and then you're you're in real trouble. Now, the funny thing was, is as soon as the guy left, everybody in the class moved down to the front row. Yeah, of course. <laughs> oh my goodness. Now, I realize this interview so far has made you sound like some guy who gets off on getting angry. I would like to say Dennis is a very 
chill guy, actually. He's one of the more chill people I've I ever met. Oh. Yeah, you're... Well, well okay. I mean, it's funny to you, me. You hang, you hang with a pretty angry crowd there. I grew up in a pretty angry household, <laughs> oh, so to you me, go. you're, like, pretty chill. And... Also, I have you on the show, I should say, because you're a mentor to me, Dennis. Not only did you teach me a lot of the things I know, but um, you're a lot of people in this company's theater dad. Oh. And I know you don't like that term. Why well, don't you like being known as well, a theater because dad? I, I, so this, again, a few years ago, I was in Toronto uh, doing a Life Game at World Stage. Okay. And and uh, Rebecca Northman and Derek Flores, who great both, improvisers yeah, from both, this theater, both company members uh, that had moved to Toronto were living in Toronto at that point in time. So there's an after party after one of the shows, and we're all hanging around socializing. And Derek and both Derek and Rebecca come up to me and start talking to me about how I'm their theater dad because they well they both come from um, messed up homes, sing, well single parent homes, right? Yeah. Um, and so I'm their theater dad. And I went, no, look, no, I am, will not be responsible <laughs> for that part of you. I'm not your parents. I'm not going to be responsible for that. But let me just say, <laughs> I think subconsciously, though you consciously say this, I've watched you subconsciously take on the role. What? Yes. Okay. I come from a pretty contentious home, and uh, your son—you actually have one child. Yeah, I do. I have. I have yeah, I have a son. We yeah. are exactly your son and yeah. I are the same age. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I sometimes, maybe I'm projecting, but I don't think I am. Sometimes mm. I see you look at me and go, "What if my son had been a girl?" So I'll be nice to Lindsay. <laughs> I see it. Sometimes you let me have free chocolate and candy. No, I don't. I <laughs> at the, at the no. concession, now, now I get free treats. Let's 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 be absolutely truthful about this. All right. I do not. I have always disapproved of you going behind the concession and getting free treats. It's it's my wife. Yeah, his wife <laughs> runs the box office and concession. Well, she's and the general. Treats. She's the general manager yes. of, of the of the theater. So. Well, I don't know these terms. I just know well, treat treat lady. <laughs> lady that has so, treats. So my wife is basically just the treat lady to you. She's your theater mom. Come on, theater admit mom. It. Yeah, and she, for example, I can't. I came back to Calgary for the first time in a yeah. long time uh, on this trip that I'm on now, and they used to have cream soda at Loose Moose. You could buy a cream soda, and I was probably the only person in Calgary that was ordering it at Loose Moose, and so they stopped selling it at some point, and. You know, your wife knew how much I cared about it. And so when I came to the theater last week, she'd bought a whole pack of crush cream soda for me. So so what I'm what I'm trying to tell you is that, yeah. that, that I I in no way have, have suggested or in any form consciously or subconsciously that I am your theater dad. I know, but I see you take on the responsibilities. Well, yeah. You gave me a ride to the theater today. That was very well, nice, very dad-like. But so, you asked, you know, and you, I don't live that far away from Sean. You, you, you reprimanded me so I'd be good at a job. That was good. <laughs> you, um, you have given me stage time, a healthy outlet, so I don't get into drugs. Um, <laughs> you, you awkwardly nod your head sometimes when I tell you an upsetting dating story from my life, like mm. as if to say, I'm here for you, but please stop telling me this story. It's very dad-like. <laughs> it's great. I think you're projecting. Yes. I think you're projecting. Well, that's yeah. fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but <laughs> I don't mind. The, the mentor part is fine. I, I'm, I'm okay with that. 
Maybe as long reason- as people don't go out and do like stupid. Like I hate it when loose smooth people go off and and are jerks. <laughs> Because <laughs> oh. you know, because that's what that's what I hate. There's I a few of them. There are some. I mean, it's it's not like everybody that comes out of this company is is a pleasant human being. Actually, what's often the case is if you meet one of the people who were jerks that trained here and then went off to comedy in the world, you know, they're known as jerks, but they're like jerks with a very interesting skill set. So, like, they yes. have an ability that they yes. picked up here, and sometimes they become jerks. Yeah, no, well, or they they were jerks all along, or but but yeah, I I don't I don't really feel the, the need to take responsibility for turning people into jerks. True enough. <laughs> okay, so before we wrap up things, I do want to <clears> just ask a couple improv questions of you because it would be kind of a wasted interview if I'm with someone who learned directly from Keith Johnstone and has been the artistic director of a very good theater company for how long have you been the artistic director? Well, I, I, I've been the artistic director since 1998. Yeah. So you have a lot of experience. I guess that's, what is that? <laughs> I don't even know. 1998. What, what is it now? It's 2019. Oh, is that? It's a long time. It's too long. It's Let's not do math. This is embarrassing. So, yes, here, listen as two theater people do math. Yeah. We still don't know. Yeah, right. uh, but this listen. podcast it's... turns into three hours of silence. <laughs> it's been eons. Oh, God. I still don't know. It's a fine. Well, I'll use a calculator after the interview. Um, 20, so, 20 years. 20 years? Okay. Well, 21 years. 21. Yeah. Okay, 21 years. Um, so I want to ask you, what are the ways in which being an improviser helps you in real life, do you think? Oh, well, I, I think, I, I mean, I, it, I, I think there, there's certain, there's certain things that, that, that improvisation can offer to help you become help other skills mm-hmm. um, so for example i right now i'm i'm fairly heavily involved in in using improvisation to teach communication skills to to graduate students at the university okay <clears throat> so and, and for the most part in the sciences so these are people who are brilliant mm-hmm. they're graduate students they so they're they're super smart but their communication skills kind of fall apart yeah, but I think a lot of the improvisation skills that we teach imp- improvisers are also really valuable to teach them how to become better communicators. Yeah. So I think there are certain things. Now, it's it's whether you apply them in your in your real life. Like mm-hmm. like I, I'm not necessarily I, I wouldn't necessarily say that that improvise just because you you take a bunch of improvisation it necessarily makes you a better person. I think it depends on how you apply those skills. If you sharpen them and then use them. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think to some degree they're probably just going to settle in your personality anyways. But mm. but I think if you're more sort of consciously aware of certain things, like being in the moment with somebody, actually yeah. listening to what they're saying and not thinking to yourself, oh, what could I say that would be clever? What would I, oh, I got a story. Right. But actually listening to somebody in the moment, paying attention to them. I think that can be a really valuable skill. Right. Um, the status stuff. The status stuff to me is really, <laughs> really useful. And that's the thing that I wonder if, uh, if that's something you feel morally mixed on, because 
you taught us all very well to be sociopaths and to what what i think this theater is known for putting out some of the most like uh um what? socially aware uh maybe a little manipulative um, also, a lot of Don Juans have come out of this theater. Oh, we've seen that. Everyone in this theater could get laid yeah. pretty easy yeah. if they're a good improviser. And I think, and, and so here's, and this is the, so here's the here's the thing, is that I think it's like it's like any skill or any power, mm-hmm. you can use it for good or you can use it for bad. Yeah. And I I would never suggest to people that you use status, for example, in a manipulative way. Right. Okay. Or to manipulate people in in a way that could be harmful. Sure. But I think if you understand some status, that it can be very useful. Absolutely. Um, I Keith, remember Keith. Keith tells a story about this actor in L.A. that would go to auditions, and he took a class from Keith and or knew Keith's work, and so he thought, well, I'll, what I'll do is I'll, I'll go and I'll be lower status than the people that are auditioning me. Well, he didn't get any work, so he tried to be higher status than the people that auditioned him. Didn't get any work. Then he went and he tried to match their status. And guess what? They get work. He gets work. That I do that too. Yeah, because the, the Keith's theory was, oh, they're looking at this person going, oh, that guy's just like us. Yeah. <laughs> so Absolutely. So, so little things like that. And I guess I suppose in a broader sense you could say that's manipulative, but I don't think it's manipulative to a, to a bad end. It's actually can be helpful. Conscious. Yeah. Yes. And or like, you know, like I said, diffusing conflict. If you know that you could, if I just lower my status a little bit, it's quite possible I can diffuse a conflict. That can be useful. Sure. So I, I do think there are certain skills that, that, that you can use in your everyday life that, that, that improvisation offers. The other thing I've noticed, and I, and I have nothing to, to scientific or anything to base this on, but, and I noticed it actually first when my, my son was in elementary school. Hmm. And I, so you'd end up hanging around the playground with, I'd go pick them up from school. So you end up hanging around the playground with other parents. And quite often I was there with parents that were even younger than me. Yeah. But I would look at them and I'd go, wow, you're really old. Like you're already old. Because yeah. their whole attitude towards things was. And I kept thinking, I think there's something about the improvisation that, that I don't know if it not necessarily keeps you young, but it keeps your perspective fresh like as if there's always more to learn that's right yeah that's right there's more to learn there's more to take in um i think you're just more open and now part of that might be just i've spent a good deal of my life now uh working with people that are younger than me mm-hmm. maybe that has something to do with it but i think the improvisation has something as well that it, that it maybe keeps it keeps your perspective fresh and i think that that can be really useful that's a good point yeah, I agree with so, you. So yeah, I think I definitely think there's there's certain things that. But on the other hand, you, like I, I remember years ago there was a, a woman that came to our summer workshops that she she was upset at one point because there, I, something had come up and 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 I so I had a conversation with her and she said, oh, I always thought that improvisers were going to change the world that you know they were going to make the world a better place and I'm going. You do understand that a lot of performers are selfish, egotistic jerks. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like that, that, the, just because it's, I understand why that the world of improvisation sometimes suggests that because we're all working together and all of that. And we're sharing and, yeah, and yeah. It's, you know, all of that. But 
really the, the people that are drawn to performance quite often are insecure and egotistical. This was mentioned and... on a recent episode where I say, uh, I always ask other actors why they're actors. Yeah. And they always give you some nice answer like, I'm a storyteller. I tell the truth. I like attention. Yeah. But like, yeah. there's nothing wrong with admitting that there are multiple reasons you do something and some are not as, as uh, altruistic as yeah. the other one. So when, you know, when people talk about improvisation changing your life or, or helping you live a, a, a better life or a fuller life, I, I get that. I understand that. But the other side of the coin is, is there's still a lot of jerks out there. Yeah. There's a lot of stage piggies. <laughs> there's a lot of jerks. There's a lot of assholes. There's stage piggies. Yeah. yeah. I see them so all the time. It, just because you do improvise. It's just like if you, if you do yoga, it doesn't necessarily make you a better person. If you meditate, it doesn't necessarily make you a better person. It might help. Yeah. But it doesn't necessarily, it's not. Yoga just makes you a flexible asshole. (laughs) That's it. It means you could actually contort yourself to see your own asshole. And meditation just makes you an asshole in the moment. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, Uh, Oh, yeah. Something else I need to ask you. Yes. Because, uh, boy, you could talk. You're good. I'm sorry. No, I, it's I, good. You, it's really good. Some you people. Get me, get me started. You have, you're great. Um, this is a kind of a controversial question. Uh-oh. Do you find sometimes certain personality types, because there's some certain personality types when they take improv, you're like, I see the potential in a few years. If this person keeps working, yep. they're going to be this and that, and they're going to be great. Um, are there some people you believe can never reach the potential, even if they put in the 10,000 hours. Do you think there's something that goes beyond the work that's inherent? Well, again, I've I've sometimes, years and years and years ago, I remember... There was a, we, had, we had a workshop, a loosemouth workshop. There was a number of instructors there and a whole bunch of people taking the workshop. And afterwards, we were talking about different people in the group. And there was one person in, in the group that we all kind of went, oh, that person's never, ever going to be an improviser. Mm-hmm. Well, they ended up joining the company. And years later, they were one of our best, most popular improvisers. So I've, in, in that moment, I kind of learned never write off anybody. Oh, that's great. You never write off anybody. Having said that, I I do think that there are are sometimes there's there's people that and and they're so they're so set in in their ways so set in their behaviors and they've reached a point in their life and quite often if you're in your teens I think there's still time. If you maybe even in your early twenties, there's still time. Yeah, a lot Changes. of great loose moosers started like at sixteen. Yeah. That's a but common But if you're thing. thirty-five and suddenly want to become a great improviser, I think there's a lot of baggage that you have to unload. And I think it that really becomes difficult. I think it really becomes hard. Now that's not yeah. to suggest that you shouldn't take improvisation, but I think you should lower your expectations as to what the end result is going to be. I guess it's like trying to become Olympic swimmer and you're like 40 and you suddenly decide, I'd like to learn how to swim. Yeah, and, and again, I... not that I would never write off anybody because yeah. I've always been surprised. And sometimes I've looked at people and went, wow, they really got something. And then years later you go, well, it never came to fruition. It, nothing really ever developed from that for various different reasons. Right. And then other people, you could go, ah, no, there's no way that person's ever going to become something. And to me, it's always... 
with loose moose, it's always been kind of relative. It's like, well, what do you want from this? Like, I've seen people come to loose moose who never really wanted to be, I mean, maybe secretly they wanted to be a professional performer, but in general, they have a job, they're happy with their job. But it's, I've definitely seen a, improvisation make a difference in their lives mm-hmm. over a period of time. So maybe, you know, maybe they started off as, as on a scale of one to 10, they started off three and they developed into a really nice five. Yeah. But they were never going to be a nine. They were never, that was never going to happen for them because, and, and they didn't have the interest to become, you know, a top performer. So it's fine. But it's fine because that, that growth was in relative terms was perfect for them. Wow. And I've seen, I've, I've seen, I've seen people here just, just gain confidence and, and all of those things that you kind of would like for people to have. Mm-hmm. Keith had this great idea that, that you shouldn't teach, you shouldn't teach, you shouldn't teach acting in high school. You shouldn't teach drama in high school to produce more actors because the world doesn't need more actors. Right. It really doesn't. And I don't think the world needs more improvisers. Yeah, there's think, too many. There's too many. There's too many. Let's, let's, I don't know. Let, let's just have a cutoff or something. But there's too many. But, but, if you, if you offer drama in high schools so that, that individuals could, kiss kiss words, try other versions of themselves. Mm. In other words, learn how to be more complete human beings. Teach them, teach them about behaviors. Teach them about the defense mechanisms that hold us back from mm. having more uh, beneficial relationships or be able to to interact better with people that would be brilliant right I think that would i would i would pay my tax dollars for that yeah but, but just to produce more actors really kind of pointless and so i think it really depends if you're taking improvisation because you want to be a performer mm-hmm. an actor or a comedian or whatever okay that's great but you understand is that the chances of you becoming you know, Stephen uh, Colbert, yeah, Tina Fey, uh, so tiny, yeah. so tiny. And if you go into that with that mindset and you go, but I'm going to work as hard as I can. Great. Good on you. That's, that's, that's fine. But I think a lot of people, if you're just taking improvisation, just because it, it helps you in some fashion, it, it's, it's a great hobby to have. Yeah. Um, and that you benefit from the skills that you learn as an improviser in your, in your regular life in your work and at home, mm-hmm. that's brilliant. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. And, and you don't, then you don't have to, you, you don't have to develop to be a 10 or a nine. That's great. Five or six is great. Why not? Yeah, that's great. You know? I love that. Um, uh, I often notice, um, I tried to figure out what was it about people that I saw that stagnated in their growth when I was doing some improv teaching. I was like, what do these people have in common? What is the barrier? And a weird thing I notice is, um, people who have a, a high social IQ, in a way, people that understand the guidelines of social interaction, were better at getting better at improv, mm-hmm. I found. And the reason, I, my theory is behind that, is that if you can read the, the guidelines of how the world operates, then you can flip it on its head and subvert it and make fun of it and yep. play with it. But you have to know how it already works to do that yeah and and i mean the, the interesting thing for me is when i see people come to the moose because we get people from all different walks of life is i sometimes I, I i look at people and i go why do you want to be on stage because you're so terrified 
Yeah. He was so frightened. And and then sometimes you every once in a while you'll get somebody that just looks comfortable on stage. And I don't know what that is. Don't but maybe maybe it's because they're socially comfortable and, and that's But also really I should say wh- what I meant too is you can be socially aware and have that social IQ and be a terrified introvert. A great yeah. example is my best friend Gavin's social anxiety. He's a terrific improviser. Yeah. yeah. But He's not someone who can just go up to strangers at a party, uh, but he understands how it all operates. Yeah, he a, just has a fear, but yeah. Yeah, no, I've, I've, I'm not, uh, I'm socially kind of inept. I, I'm not good you? at parties. Yeah, I'm not good at parties. I'm, I'm, I think uh, this conversation's going great. Well, no, but this isn't a party, and I know you really, really well. It's a and party, I, baby. It's well, a party. <laughs> and I, but no, I'm not. I'm not, yeah. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not great socially. Sure. And, but again, I mean, over the years, I've kind of learned to, to, to be Mellow. a little bit better at it, but it's not something I, and that was, and that's to me is kind of an odd thing is that when I first started going on stage, I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified and, 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 and performed accordingly. And I, and I said, so what, what drives you to that? What drives you to, to go in front of an audience when you're absolutely terrified? Don't know. It's can't, interesting, isn't can't it? Can't figure it out, right? And I think part of it is, I mean, what you said was that, is that there's something about getting that attention. Yeah. There's something about the, the I think there's, there's, there's a number of different things, but just getting a little bit of attention, something maybe lacking in your, in your personal life, and that little bit of attention kind of fills that need. There's nothing like... I mean, the proof is in the pudding. If you do an improv class and you're just in front of a couple people, it's not the same as doing it in front of an audience. Absolutely not. So it's more exciting. The reward feels bigger when it goes right. Yep. And the failure feels 10 times worse yep. when it goes wrong. Yep. So. Yep. So, I, I, again, I, I, I mean, I, I, like the, the, I like the idea that people just take improvisation or do improvisation just because it's fun and they enjoy it and maybe it'll help them in some way. Um, if you want to be a performer, that's a whole different thing. The thing that, I'll tell you the thing that pisses me off about improvisers. Okay. Well, one of the many things that pisses me off about improvisers is that I think a lot of improvisers are lazy. Yeah. They don't learn proper stage skills. They don't learn, learn how to speak properly. They don't learn how to move properly. They don't dress properly. They come... They come for a show dressed in their torn jeans and their sandals and their sandals. Yeah. It's like, have a bit of respect for yourself, first of all, but also have a bit of respect for the audience. And I, the the thing that, the thing with actors are, I mean, again, uh, actors that, that want to be or students or, or professionals is that they usually, usually not in all cases, but they're usually taking care of themselves. They're, they're, they're constantly trying to improve their basic skills. Yeah. Usually. Not all of them, but usually. There's something about improvisers like, well, I'll just show up and whatever. It's like, no, come on, work a little bit. Well, that's why we get a bad reputation in, in the more traditional theater spaces. Oh, yeah. A lot of uh, improvisers and Second City performers don't put Second City on their resume yep. because, you know, traditional theater directors judge you beforehand yeah which is sometimes fair sometimes not no no and 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 again it's not all improvisers but but there are certainly some improvisers and there's certainly improvisers at loose moose and it's like 
to me, it's just sort of, it's an attitude that be, because it's in a way, it's kind of easy to get on stage in improvisation. Mm-hmm. You don't have to learn anything in advance, right? You don't have to learn a script. Yeah. You don't have to learn, you know, like there's, it, you just wander on stage. That that sort of casualness comes with it. And it, it I think, I think, I think particularly if you want to be, for lack of a better term, professional improviser, then you should have a more professional attitude sure. towards the work, you know? So, uh, yeah. Well, that, yeah. Be, that being said. Yeah. Yeah. Dennis. Yes. I'm going to leave it on that super positive note. That super positive <laughs> note. <laughs> because this has been a lovely chat, a chat with my mentor, Dennis Cahill, I I say that you are the most underrated uh, person in improvisation in the world. <laughs> I mean it. Wow. That's... No, but like so many people owe their education and a big chunk of their careers to you, and yet you're not even on social media. Well, no, that's my choice. Yes, that's your choice. But I, I guess what I'm saying is... Your, your name isn't out there the way Keith's is, but you've taken on that legacy and, and added to it and trained tons of people. On the other hand, I mean, I, I, wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be doing anything if it wasn't for, for Keith Johnston. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, none of us would, actually. I mean, That's true. It, 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 he re, he, I mean, Keith really does have a, like an amazing legacy. Yes, read his books. And he's still alive. He's his, still alive. Yes. And he's still, I mean, he's still doing stuff. He's still writing. He's uh, t- still teaches on occasion. Yeah, so if you're um, an improviser listening to this, oh, maybe you're from the States or you're yeah. from Toronto and you're like, oh, I like Del Close. I like Napier. I like all these different great uh, improv gurus. Give Keith a try. Read yeah, his books. Yeah, you don't have to agree with They're everything great. Keith says. Uh, absolutely. Uh, but I think it, it, it'll give you a, a different perspective. If if you haven't, uh, 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 if you don't know Keith's work, give you a different perspective on the work. Keith comes at it at a, at a different different angle than than uh, than Del Close or or McNapier, and they all come at it from a different angle. And I think for me, it's always the, the proof is in the work. If you're doing good work, I don't care where it came from. I don't care if it's long form, short form, free form, whatever it is. It's the proof is in the work. If you're doing good work, great. And if you if you can draw on different influences and make that work for you. Perfect. Do it. But yeah, if you've never if you've never experienced Keith Johnson's work, get out and do that. Or don't call yourself a well-rounded improviser. You. He, oh my oh, God, he's oh. getting angry. Oh, guys, he's getting so angry. Oh my God, he's picking up a chair. Oh my God, he's holding it over his head. Actually, that is a Del Close thing. Del Close but, used to throw chairs. Did he? At actors. No, Keith never. Keith never threw chairs. No, but he he could throw an insult like. Oh okay, yeah, Keith, yeah. Keith could Keith cut you. He could cut, cut you, you with words. So, yeah. And then you, you wouldn't even know you're cut. And then, and then you'd be like, you'd be like an hour later and go, oh, I'm, I'm bled out. Oh, my God. I, I died by a thousand tiny cuts. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, thanks for being on. What, what, is this, what is this doing? This is my podcast, Dennis. Okay, uh, here, I'm going to say one last thing. Oh, Here's here something you once said to me, and I don't know if you did it on purpose, what? but you want to talk about uh, a little tiny Dennis cut? I had been improvising at the theater for like a year or two, and you called me Stephanie. I do that a lot. It's awful. I I don't think anything hurt so much. I was like, I've been here for years. You've directed me in many shows. You called me Stephanie? So it's fine, though. I mix names up, and I'm bad at names, and... 
It's but now, fun. now that I'm older, I have an excuse. Yeah, now you can, now you can just say it. <laughs> I'm old. I don't remember your name. <laughs> it's cute now. Yeah. All right. Well. Thank you, Kathy. <laughs> thank you, Dennis. Oh. oh, you're so good at what you do. <laughs> <laughs> I talk. That was so believable. <laughs> thanks for being on the show. It's oh, a thanks podcast. For having me. It's you a can po- find it. What's a podcast? It's called Truth Be Told. You I, can find this later on the internet. Well, am I going to be on the internet? Oh God. Oh, my God. All right. Bye, Dennis. <laughs> Bye, Lindsay. Aww, wasn't that sweet? Isn't Dennis Cahill sweet? He's a sweet old curmudgeon. He's great. <sighs> it was a good interview. And uh, yeah, so that means we're now at the end of the Improv Mentor episode of Truth Be Told. Time to do some thank yous. We'll start with my guest, my one and only guest on this episode, Mr. Dennis Cahill. Thank you so much for uh, doing this interview, opening up the theater early and sitting down with me and letting me pick your brain. You're a lovely man. Thank you. Thank you also to Trevor Pullman, who is my partner in crime in the editing room. Thank you to the boys at the Sonar Network, Michael Mongiardi and Cody Crane. You get this episode out for the masses, and I appreciate it. Thank you to Catherine Fogler, who did the podcast photography. Thank you to Kurt Furla, who did the graphic design on that podcast photography. Thank you to Matthew Reed. Matthew Reed, you made the music for this show, and it has grown on me. I love it. It's so good. It's so me. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Guys, if you want to follow me on Instagram, you can. My handle is at Linzomullo. That's L-I-N-D-S-O-M-U-L-L-O. I also have a website, www.lindsaymullen.com. Please stay tuned for some more episodes that will be coming soon. I've done a whole bunch of interviews. They're very fun. And, uh... It won't be the same without you guys there. Otherwise, I'm just talking uh, alone in my bedroom on my messy bed. And how sad is that? Mm. Give me your feedback. I love to hear from you. Till next time. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. 